It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. A big thanks to The Hartford for supporting this special episode. Hello to everybody joining us on our Super Soul here. This is the third and final episode, at least for now, of our Build the Life You Want series. And with me is my co-author. Actually, I'm your co-author. You're the author. I'm the co No, no, we're both co-co. We're co? Yeah. We're co? Oh, yeah, totally. I think of you as the author and I'm the co. Anyway, <laughs> Arthur Brooks, you're a social scientist and a Harvard Business School professor who teaches a very popular class on happiness. And... I'm just, as a social scientist, what does that actually mean? I love the word, the mm. term. What does it mean? You study human behavior? Yeah, you... I study human beings. Yeah. You study human beings and why they do what they do, which is so interesting. You know, if you're, if you're an astronomer, you know, yeah. the astrophysicist, or you're studying natural sciences, you're looking at the big complicated things in the universe. But that's different than the complex things that people do. People are funny. You can't, with any amount of computing horsepower, simulate what people are going to do. Wow. Because people are motivated by love. People are motivated by relationships. And so the result is we easily know what we want, but we don't know how to get it. Yeah. And that's a wicked problem, as they say in Boston. That's a, that's a really hard problem to solve, and it's a super interesting one of that. That's so what if you're studying at. human behavior, what part of it are you studying? Just everything? Yeah, well, in general, you, you can. You could look at any and, – and psychologists and behavioral economists, they're studying every conceivable facet of yeah. behavior that you can imagine – but for me, it's happiness and love, happiness and love, because that's the heart of it. Yeah. Now, it took me a while to get there. You know, I started off by looking at beauty and art. I looked at philanthropy and charitable giving and why uh -huh. people do things for each other. And I found that the root of both of these things was that people want, to, want love and they want to be happy. And I thought, mm, let's go to the source. And that's how I wound up studying human happiness. And I, it's just endlessly fascinating. I can't get enough of it. I wake up at night with a new idea about what I want to study. And, and there's so many great scientists out there that are, that are studying the psychology or the neuroscience of what motivates us in our quest for happierness. I'm just giving the people the information <laughs> to understand. <laughs> and this that, is what we write about in the book. That Professor Brooks comes with the receipts, y'all. <laughs> He's got the stuff to back it up. And in chapter six in our book, we call it friendship that is deeply real. So let's start with a reader question, Sherry. Good, good. I resonated so much with that chapter on friendship that is deeply real for me on so many levels. Every few years, I go through and evaluate my inner circles because if you're not depositing into my life, you're wasting my time, which is very, very precious at this age. The analogy that friendships are similar to the rungs of a ladder is Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oprah, my question for you. We have watched you and your best friend Gail's relationship thrive mm -hmm. for years. And over the course of your sisterhood, have you ever fallen out? And how did you recover or rekindle that friendship or mishap? Oh, Sherry, thanks for that question. Actually, no. We, there has never been a falling out or even a major, I'm not talking to you or hanging up or angry. There's ne never been that in the 40 plus years that we've been friends. 
You know, we're very, very different. I mean, you would think, I think people think that because you watched the show all those years that I am the extroverted personality. I am not. I'm actually introvert who can manage and function very well in an extroverted world. I've noticed that. Yes. Have you noticed it? High functionality. I'm a high functioning, yes. High functioning introvert. I'm a high, high, highly functioning introvert, but really it's the quiet moments alone. It's, you know, being pensive. It's long walks. It's spending time with my dogs and Stedman. It's, you know, Gail is the exact opposite. I don't know how she does it. And she thrives and gets energy from being out in the world. I will tell you about a recent, so we agree to disagree. And many times I disagree strongly. Like most recently, there was something she wanted me to do for O'Daly. And I decided I did not want to do it. And so Gail called me and said, everybody here is, is they're, 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 dashing their teeth to powder. Everybody's upset because they thought you were going to do it and now you're not going to do it. And I think you should. I said, well, I've made a decision that I'm not going to do it. And she said, I think you're wrong. I disagree. I disagree. And I said, and I really don't appreciate you calling me and pressuring me after I've already said no. And she said, I'm not pressuring you. I'm just giving you my opinion because I know you're going to end up doing what you want to do. And I said, exactly. Hmm. Thanks for calling and it's that's, a mature relationship is what it is. Is that, is that what yeah, that is? That's absolutely it's a mature relationship. You know, early on, if you had just met, it would be a schism. But after years yes. and years and years, I mean, she knows that you're in a, you have opinions that are in yes. the best interest of your business and what you want to yeah, do. Yeah. And she has deep love and respect for you. Look, I've seen you two in, you know, uniting in yeah. person after a little time apart. Yeah. I was there. Like in person, because we did. Oh yeah, because we did her yeah. show on CBS. Oprah's here. We always like it when Oprah's here, and she brought a friend. And it was like, I could see the oxytocin in your brain, kind of go as you yeah. you know eye contact with your best friend. It's a beautiful thing. You know, but. we do that thing that uh, Toni Morrison said years ago on the show that when she was raising her son, she realized that every time they showed up, she was like, pull up your pants and comb your hair. And but she realized that what children really want is to know that your eyes light up when you enter the room. Right. The truth is everybody wants to know that right. your eyes light up when yeah, you enter the room. But yours really do. Yeah. I mean, it's spontaneous. You didn't make an effort. And that yeah. was a beautiful thing. And it was cl very clear that this is a real friendship. This is not a deal friendship. Yeah. This is something that really matters to you and, and has for a really long time. And that's a beautiful thing. And that means that sometimes you're gonna disagree and that's fine. Yeah. What's not fine is if you have a disagreement and you sublimate it. You're like, okay, fine. I'll do your article. Yeah. That wouldn't have been good. That would have been actually bad for your friendship to That's do that right. because that would have actually planted the seeds of resentment and those grow into bitter fruit. Yeah. So explain the difference between real friends and deal friends. Everybody knows if you've got the real, you know, if you've got the real friends or not, you know, and I, you know, Gail and I've been friends for over 40 years. She was 20. I know she was 21. I was 22 when we met and now we're not that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny thing about the years. That you, you know, <laughs> yeah. How many years is it? I don't even know. But the thing that I always say is, you know, you got a, 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 a friend for life when they are happier for your, your successes than you are. Yeah. I mean, in all the years, yeah. she's always been the most excited and there for yeah. me. And once I was going through a crisis and she just showed up and said, well, I just had to look at you, but you, you look okay. You're going to be all right. And then got back on the plane and left. Is that yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's true. That's fantastic. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. Ladies, you're working hard, and there's no better reward than booking a cruise vacation with Carnival Cruise Line. Summer is right around the corner. 
Picture this. You're paddleboarding in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Next up, excursions. Explore ancient Mayan ruins, take an ATV ride through the jungle, or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick among restaurants, from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, but be sure to leave room for unforgettable memories, because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. We Time meets Me Time, where magic meets the sea on a Disney cruise. Adults can relax and enjoy dedicated spaces designed just for them. Indulge in a massage at Census Spa or take a dip in Quiet Cove, an adult-exclusive pool. Don't worry, the kids are having some me-time of their own at incredible kids' clubs. And there's amazing we-time, like entertainment, imaginative dining, character encounters, and more around every corner. A magical vacation at sea awaits on Disney Cruise Line. Yeah, so we all know a lot of people. Um, The problem that we have one of the problems that we have in the United States today and many places around the world is that we're lonelier than we've been before, despite the fact that we have plenty of contact with other people. It's a paradox, isn't yeah. it? We work with other people. I mean, the coronavirus was horrible for that, but we're pretty much in the same social conditions that we were before, and yet we're lonelier. Yeah. The reason for that is that we've lost our ability to create this kind of real friendship, this kind of real intimacy with other people. Now, social media, screens distractions. Life is incredibly distracting. Plus, we have a whole political infrastructure dedicated to telling us that if you have a friend who votes different than you, they're stupid and evil. Mm -hmm. People are, you know, getting, profiting from the ends of these friendships. So we have to reestablish the skills. And that's why we wrote this chapter in the book Mm -hmm. is about establishing real friendships. So Aristotle, the great ancient Greek philosopher 2,500 years ago, wrote more compellingly than anybody about friendship. Yep. He said that friendship at the base level is kind of transactional. You know, you work with people and you're pretty mm-hmm. friendly with them and you like them. Mm-hmm. But if the business stops, the friendship stops. A little bit above that, you admire certain people and that's great. But at the highest level, he called the perfect friendship, the friendship of virtue. Mm-hmm. And that's based on just loving each other. And he yeah. said he had a word for it. It's called atelic. That means it didn't have a telos. It didn't have a point. It didn't have a reason outside of love itself. It was useless, not useful. And that's what we need to be looking for. If somebody's lonely in the midst of a crowd, we need more useless people in our lives is what it comes down to. Not worthless. I got friends like that too. (laughs) (laughs) No, but friends who they don't want anything from you. They don't need anything. They don't need anything. from You you. don't need anything from them. And what you usually have is a shared love. It's a shared love for your values maybe your children, your religion, maybe it's building birdhouses or the Boston Red Sox. But the point is you have this thing, you think about it this way, you, could, you walk together side by side, admiring the thing in front of you mutually and together. Mm. That's beautiful. You notice that your deepest beautiful. conversations are when you're walking side by side with somebody as the sun is setting? Yeah, that's true. That's what, it's, a, it's a very beautiful and intimate thing yeah. because you're admiring that third thing. And, and also, Sherry, I was thinking about your, your, your point about Gail and I, and I know that's hard for a lot of people to believe that we haven't had a, you know, a disruption or something that made us not speak for a while. But I, you know, as I was saying, 
she always wanted whatever is the best for me, and the same thing is true for me. I always, right. yeah, wanted. You're also not a dramatic person. You know, we've done our personality tests, and we, and in, in our book, we have a, yeah. we have a personality profiling test based on on your levels of in, the intensity yeah, we of your emotion. About that. Yeah, and I think and, people are loving that too. Oh, finding I'm out hearing where about they it fit. constantly. You yeah, too, right? Yes, yes. This yes, is yes. where people are taking it. They can take it on the website for the book about what their personality profile is based on the intensity of their emotions. Really high affect people, negative and positive, super high. Those yeah. are mad scientists. But people who are low, low, that doesn't mean they don't feel these things, but they have an affect level that's quite controlled. That's yes. you. Yes. You're a judge. Yeah, I'm a judge. And, and that's a really good personality profile because it means you're not going to be dramatic when you disagree with something. You're that's going to be right. quite circumspect. You're, you're, I mean, sober, unflappable. Yeah. It's a really good thing. And you know, now I've spent enough time with you to see that that's actually authentic in private and in public. And, and that's very helpful. I mean, Gail is a cheerleader. Yes. That means high positive affect, low negative affect. And that means there's a lot of emotion out there, mm -hmm. but you're the steadying force. Mm -hmm. You're keeping it real all the time. And that's a very good match in a friendship to, to not have these constant blow-ups. You've got people with tremendously high positive and negative affect that are friends, they're gonna fight. Or spouses. Ah, uh, yeah, that fight. would make sense. That would yeah. make sense, that makes sense. So we live in this age of political polarization, you were just talking about it. Uh, one in six Americans say they are cut off, uh, they've cut off contact with friends and family over politics. Um, let's talk about our attachment to opinions. Why are we so attached to our opinions? It's a natural thing. You know, the great Vietnamese Buddhist master Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, the monk. I love Thich Nhat Hanh. He was wonderful. He wrote The Miracle of Mindfulness and so many other wonderful books that, that, that brought the ideas of Buddhism to the West, to, yes. to Christian people and in the United States and other religions as well. It's wonderful. And he said that one of the greatest, most virulent, dangerous attachment is the attachment that we have to our views. And the reason is because we... We, we can't separate our opinions from ourselves. Oprah's not Oprah's opinions. Arthur's not Arthur's opinions. I'm a real person who has opinions. And to say I am my opinions, my identity is my opinions, is like unbelievably brittle. It's a big problem. I know that, but what if your opinions are not in alignment with my values? Yeah. Then it's a very interesting opportunity for you to learn about another person's views. But what if I absolutely disagree? Like I'm sitting across from somebody who believes that we should be burning books mm. from Toni Morrison or Amanda Gorman or whatever. I, I, I find that very hard to reconcile. Yeah, and that means that you're not going to agree on that. But it's kind of interesting to find out the things that you might have in common, that you could actually learn about people who have those types of views such that you can perhaps even combat those ideas more effectively, but to banish them, to, 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 to lower their humanity in your own views, it, it, it lessens you. I'm not trying being. to lower, I and I know there are many of you who disagree, who agree or and also disagree with me, but, but I'm, I, w I would and not be- we love be them all equally, don't yeah, we? <laughs> yeah, I would not be trying to lower them. I would just say, okay, then I- I disagree. I, I disagree. I disagree with that. I, I disagree with that. I, I don't just disagree. I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree. I think you're misguided. Yes, and I don't know if I want to sit and have a meal with you if that's where you, that's, that's the way you think. I don't know, but you know, you might be able to persuade them, but you can't. But you, you can't. Cut them off. No, you can't. You, you can't, can't persuade them if you cut them off. Here's the thing. In our society today, 
we all have values. Yeah, and there's, I would be able to sit and have a conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, I over yeah. the years, obviously, well, have have interviewed, talked to lots of people who I had disagreements right. with. It doesn't yeah. mean I want to bring you into my life, though. Well, well yeah, I mean, it, and there's no, and nobody says you have to have dinner with them. Yes. But the point is, can you actually listen in such a way that you have the chance of persuading? But the reason I'm asking that question, because the reason one out of six people are saying they are cut off with their family and friends is because they were sitting at dinner. You know, people, it, it's hard to have Thanksgiving yeah. now because yeah. there's and such polarization. You have to make a decision. What's more important to you? Yeah. Your, your values or your family relationships. And, and for happiness, family relationships should not actually suffer schism except for those cases of abuse. And differences of views are not abuse. Really, they're not abuse. I mean, there can be very strong differences of opinion. But you can still maintain bonds of love with people with whom you have strong differences. And we always have. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, 50 years ago to say, I would not, I would, I would never uh, uh, agree to having my child marry somebody of the other political party it would have been crazy. Nobody, I mean, that's just not the way that people talked. Only 6% of Americans in 1960 said they cared the political opinion of the spouse of their child. Now it's like 60% actually care about that a lot. Wow. And, and the reason is because we've become so identified with our political opinions. You know, on, on dating profiles, you find that about 70% of people say they would not date somebody of the opposite political party. 70% wouldn't date somebody of the opposite political party. So which is a big problem because love is better than politics, a lot better than politics. So I recommend <laughs> to my students that they, they, have a, they don't put on their dating profile their politics that they, they, they steer clear of people who are super political in their dating profiles, and they have a moratorium on all conversations about politics for the first four dates. Most of the time, you don't get to four dates. But by the time you're on your fourth or fifth date, there's sparks. I mean, there's love happening. There's a neurochemical cascade happening inside the head. And then you've got a realistic possibility of loving each other across differences. And that's what we got to do. I mean, here's at the end of the day, here, when, when it comes to these big polarizing issues that we've got, you have important views yes. and legitimate views. You can use them as a weapon or you can use them as a gift. Yeah. And if you choose to use them as a weapon, you lost. Okay. I agree with not using them as a weapon and I agree with detaching from your opinions. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. And, and it's hard. And I'm not going to say it's not hard. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike. And that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, Destinations and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Join Macy's and Girls, Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders now during Women's History Month. Throughout March, you can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programming for girls when you donate to Girls, Inc. or round up your purchase. Plus, shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. 
Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. Thanks to the Hartford for supporting this special bonus episode of Super Soul. Today's bonus episode is presented to you by the Hartford. The Hartford is a leader in property and casualty insurance and employee benefits. For more than 200 years, they have provided people and businesses with the support and protection they need to pursue their unique ambitions, seize opportunity, and prevail through unexpected challenges. In an industry that sees customers as risks and data points, the Hartford stands apart, committing to people beyond the policy by using their knowledge, data, and resources to make positive contributions to society. It's why they are committed to making adaptive sports more accessible to youth and adults with disabilities. Help employers create stigma-free workplaces with mental health resources. Support small businesses with opportunities to showcase their products and services to revitalize main streets. Provide fire safety and prevention education in cities most at risk for home fires. So whether it's a bridge to span the Golden Gate, a storefront with the family name on the door, or a home in which to make memories, trust the Hartford to help protect what matters to you. Brought to you by the Hartford. Learn more at thehartford.com achievement. We have a question from Peyton, a recent college graduate. Hi, I'm Peyton. I'm a recent college graduate from Clemson University, and I'm 22 years old. On page 23, you say that once you embrace your life without fear, you can manage your emotions. You'll be free to build on the pillars that will set you on the path to getting happier for the rest of your life. We know later in the book, you say these pillars are family, friendship, work, and faith. My question is, which pillar have you personally spent more time building and why? And if you could be 22 again, which pillar would you focus on? Mm. Wow. It's a good question. What do you think? What's uh, your answer? I want your answer. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I wish I had the knowledge that I have right now when I was 22. Well, you couldn't. I couldn't, except that Peyton can, because that's why we wrote the book. Yeah. We wrote the book for Peyton. Peyton, you right? get in a jump start. Yeah, no, for sure. And so it's a really smart question that she's asking. The yeah. truth is you need to make have a diversified portfolio. You've got to do all four. Yeah. It's, it, you don't start with one. You know, you basically put your, your investments in all four of these accounts at, you know, all the time. Some are easier. Remember yeah. in the last episode, we talked to Brendan who said to family. Yes. How do I start with family? Well, you start with family, just so you have lower expectations yeah. for some of these things. Because you can't control that. Now, I would have answered that differently. I would have said faith. I would say, I would just say, for me, as a poor kid growing up in apartheid Mississippi, it is my understanding of a transcendent power that I call God from the time that I could speak or learn to right. read that carried me through my loneliness, my sense of um, you know, sexual abuse as a kid, my sense of being isolated. Every, so for me, that foundation is faith. And I feel that, I mean, I, I don't know how people survive in a world where they don't have something bigger than themselves. You've told me that you feel, you felt the hand of God at every moment in your life. That's right. I feel God's favor. I right. feel that I am being carried by, my, my favorite Bible, Bible verse is, in God, I move and breathe and have my being. Uh-huh. And so I feel that I am, I am a part of and that the, 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 the breath of God is, yeah. is that which is flowing through me all the time. And I'm very cognizant of that, this power in my life that's bigger than myself. So, so that's really the, the pillar that has been that most is, that salient is, yeah. all throughout your life. And right? I have that pillar no matter what. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I've, I've always been, I mean, my faith is incredibly important to me as yeah. well. There are other areas that I wish I had been 
more conscious of, or I'd been paying attention to a little bit more. When I was in my 20s, for example, I wish I'd spent more time and effort on my friendships. I was a really ambitious guy. You know, I was, oh, a, okay. I was a professional musician all the way through my 20s. I was a classical musician. And I had relationships. I mean, I got married. I, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, but I didn't spend as much time on the real friendships as I wish I had. Mm. And the result of it is that, you know, if there's a little, I mean, I have very close friends now, but I don't have really close friends that date back to that period in my life. Oh, you got Gail. You met her when she, you were 22 years old. I was 22, yeah. That's the same age as Peyton, huh? Yeah, yeah. You, you met, she, she's, she should go meet her Gail. <laughs> go find your Gail. Yeah, Peyton. that's really important. But, and I didn't, and I, and I regret, I mean, I, it's, I don't regret. I mean, it's not really regret. It's the life that I led. But mm-hmm. if I could go back and be Peyton, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would do the work. So we're talking about the pillars. So I was just expressing what faith has meant to me. When we talk about it in the book, we try to make it very clear. I hope that everybody interprets it with the intention that we had. We're not telling anybody about a religion or a certain faith that you need to have for yourself. We're saying you need it. You need something in your life that's bigger than you, that's yeah, transcendent. Yeah. That's right. We have a text box in there that, that says where we are. Yeah. It's really important. When you write about religion, yeah. you got to put your cards on the table. Yeah, even right? when you said we were going to write about it, like, oh, God, I, I know, know. I know. want to go, listen, <laughs> but, literally, oh, God, help me. <laughs> but if you're this. not putting your cards on the table, then people are going to think that you're trying to sell them a Buick. Yeah. Right? And so you got to be careful about that so that you're like, this is where I'm coming from. This is what we mean. And so you said, you talked, just what you said, I mean, about the hand of God in your life that you practice and have practiced the Christian religion. I'm a Roman Catholic, literally the most important thing in my life. But I have studied with religious teachers all throughout my career and fortified my own faith with respect and love for the things that they believe. As have I. Yeah. And as as a scientist, as a social scientist, what I have found that it is the the spirituality, the faith, the life philosophy, the sense of something transcendent to what we're doing here that brings the happiness benefit. So- Different people say, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. That's not what we're talking about. But if you need a, you need a transcendental walk, you need to get small is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't believe in anything, you just got to at least believe there's something bigger than you. Right. Um, I will say that the faith of my youth has been expanded to mm-hmm. be inclusive right. of, of, of all faiths. And it's interesting because, you know, in my youth, I thought God was like in, in the clouds, keeping a list, checking right. it, you know, God and Santa Claus. We're kind of equal, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that was the kid version. And yes. you grew up and you have the grown-up version. Yeah, and I have the grown-up version. Which is really, really important. One of the yeah. reasons that people struggle so much with faith. Is that they're holding on to the kid yeah, version. Yeah, I mean, they can't, they, they don't grow up. Yeah. They don't grow up. I mean, they're, yeah. they're still wearing like, you know, yeah. their shorts from elementary school when it comes to faith. And so they're super sophisticated about And think they have to still believe that. Yeah, yeah. And so they're, they, they you know, didn't ex- allow the the faith to expand. Yeah, they're, they have all these grown-up views and all these grown-up things in life. Yeah. But when it comes to faith, it's like, that's what I learned in Sunday school yeah. in third grade. And, and they're wondering why it's uncompelling. Well, I mean, they, they tell you these things that you can handle when you're in third grade. You got to grow right. up. That's right. And you got to do the work. And the way that you do the work is by reading people who know a lot, by actually undertaking a journey. Yes. And actually doing the work like you would to learn anything else. You just have to take it seriously as, as opposed to, well, at some point, you know, God, the, you know, the clouds will part and God, you know, some big yes. booming voice. And, mm. and then, and, and if I don't see it, that means it doesn't exist. That's no way to live. Well, Chris from St. Louis has a question about the intersection of science and religion. Chris. Oh, good. Hi, I'm Chris. As someone who has worked in the faith-based sector most of my career, I really appreciate the section in the book on transcendence. That in fact, science has shown that transcendence in our lives helps to build the life that we want. 
lives of meaning and purpose and happiness. Mm -hmm. In our country, it seems that many people divide science and the transcendent. You either believe in science or you believe in the transcendent. You say that's a false dichotomy. Can you talk more about how important it is that we hold these two things together, mm. science and the transcendent, especially in our country, if we want to build the lives and the country that we want? Mm. Thank you. God, Chris, that was great. Good on Chris. Good on Chris. Yeah, for sure. And and this is a, you know, I'm in, working in the fields that I work in and, and with neuroscientists and social scientists, there's a lot of controversy about this. But there's really not a conflict between faith and reason at the end of the day. If we were studying, we wanted to be real serious about understanding Picasso and his works. Yes. You wouldn't look for information about Picasso in Picasso's painting. He's not there. You know, this, and during the Soviet Union days in the 1970s, they sent this rocket up out of orbit and, and, they, and they announced, you know, we, we pointed the telescopes out into space and we didn't see God. See, he's not there. Well, that's like looking at a Picasso and saying, <laughs> that's like saying, he's not there, so Picasso doesn't exist. Yeah. Look, there's the artist and there's the art. And, you, and if you really want to be sophisticated about it, you got to learn about both and you can't confuse them with each other. Uh, Picasso's not in the painting, but you can't learn about the painting until you learn about the painting, as, until you study the painting as well. You need the science to understand the majesty of the natural world. Yeah, and I think science is, pro is, is proof of it. It's... It's astonishing that we would that suspect... science is, that is God. Yeah, and well, I mean, it, there, there, is a, there is an originator of these beautiful things. Yes. But you're not going to find it by looking at the blade of grass per se. You can find evidence of it, but yes. you don't, you find evidence of a creator perhaps, yeah. depending on your views. But the idea that can, since you can't see God or measure God or, or, or perceive God with a microscope, that God doesn't exist doesn't actually make sense. It's a category error. And, and so that's why we need to think both about, about faith and creation and about the content of creation and its marvels. It reminds me of the time we were doing a show on meditation years ago and this uh, guy stood up in the audience and he said, look, I tried it. I, I went and I sat for 20 minutes and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> Try harder. <laughs> yeah, 20 minutes, nothing happened. It, didn't, it doesn't work. Uh, I interviewed John Kabat-Zinn for Super Soul and he's also the renowned scientist and teacher as you know, of mindfulness. And he said something as simple as like brushing your teeth or being in the shower can become a meditative practice. Yeah, sure. practice. And because I live in a house with stairs, I'm constantly like being really present with one foot in front of the other, you know? Right. And he was saying so many people are taking a shower, but they're already in the car and all on the way to the office while they're in the shower. They're missing so, their lives. Yeah, so just when you're in the shower, be in the shower. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Thich Nhat Hanh's miracle of mindfulness at the beginning of the book. He talks about washing the dishes. When you're washing the dishes, you should be washing the dishes. Because if you're not there washing the dishes, you're not really living. Yeah, you're I, missing I, your I, life. I, I interviewed Thich Nhat Hanh and we spent an hour drinking a cup of tea. Yeah. I have never been so present for a cup yeah, of tea. Yeah, man, were you present? <laughs> But that's interesting because a lot of people think you've got to have some sort of sophisticated meditation practice. I have this colleague at Harvard named Ellen Langer. She really, in, and she, she introduced the concept of mindfulness about 25 years ago to most Western audiences for the first mm -hmm. time. She says, it's, like, it's, not a, it's not a meditation technique. It's just paying attention. Just when you're on the train, turn off your phone, fold your hands and put them in your lap and look out the window and pay attention to the things that you're seeing. And it will become a quasi-religious yes, experience. Yes, it will become, yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's so beautiful and so I've simple. I've done that many times too. And I've missed that so many times. I've missed it so many times from thinking about tomorrow or yesterday. I'm time traveling. 
I'm just time traveling and I'm missing my life. So I have been saying this, that I know firsthand how happiness multiplies when we share it. Yeah. And I remember Sean Acor, know who he is? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, told me that we co-process, he says, happiness. So what's happening in our brains? It, it has a ripple effect on everybody around us. Yeah. That's, that's the final lesson from our book. Yeah, for sure. We, we are an intensely social species. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody needs never to be alone. We also need some amount of solitude. Yeah. It's really important that we have time by ourselves as well. But we're, we're a social species. We're, we're, a, we're a pack animal. Yeah. And you it, say we should become a happiness teacher. That's what you do for, for all sure. your students. Yeah, right? absolutely. But, but, but let's remember that it's, it's not normal for the vast majority of people to not share their joy with other people, to not live in communion with other people. And that's why we spend so much time talking about love and so much time talking about relationships. It's simply contrary to human evolution and, and leads to all kinds of things going haywire in our brains and in our lives when we are cut off from other people, when we're isolated from other people. That's why loneliness is such a huge problem. We have a big opportunity when it comes to the material that we're talking about in this book to create relationships that are unbelievably enduring by sharing this. This is the thing. So we, we finished the book that, and to say, I hope you liked it. Yeah. You want to remember it? You want more love in your life? Go become the teacher teach it. So this is what I do in my class at Harvard. The final exam is not a conventional final exam. I, I teach from PowerPoints and, you know, a lot of professors teach with PowerPoints. I, and I give them all the PowerPoints and I say, okay, here's the final exam. Download the PowerPoints, which they're supposed to do anyway. Take my name off, put your name on, teach a version of the class, turn in the videos. That's your final exam. Why? Because they, you'll remember that forever. It will no longer be just in the limbic system of your brain bouncing around. Right. I heard these That's things. Right. And, see, this is the thing. You know, people say, yeah, I, I, I saw a pod, I, I listened to a podcast from this guy talking about happiness. It was making a lot of sense. But then, you know, it doesn't seem like things are getting better. It's just because you listened once. You didn't explain it. You didn't become the teacher. So this is what we try to empower people to do at the end of this book. Yeah. Is to, you take something that you've heard here. You yeah. take something that you've read here. Yeah, explain it. In the book. And then you explain it to other people. And it's it, yours. Yes. It reinforces it for it's you. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, over the course of this process, I mean, you didn't train as a social scientist, but I hear you explaining these ideas to other people all the time now. It's amazing. Now, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Well, you're gifted, but, and you're practiced and you're good at doing this. Yes. I mean, the first time I met you, by the way, when you interviewed me for Super Soul for my last book, yeah. you were quoting from my book by memory when you were interviewing me. Ah. Uh -huh. That was pretty good <laughs> but uh, and not everybody you're talking has, about strength to strength yeah yeah and not everybody has those skills but but everybody can do some of this so one of the things that i'll say at the beginning of a speech to total strangers i'll say here's how you should judge this speech whether or not it's good here's how you do it are you going to talk about this at dinner tonight and yeah. explain these ideas to your family yeah and if the answer is yes i did a good job if the answer is no hmm, maybe we try again Maybe, maybe I didn't do it the right way. Yeah. But then afterward, I get tons of email and all kinds of feedback saying, yeah, I went home and I discussed it at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> they became the teacher. That's what and I'm I think about. that this, you know, from our very first episode, um, that the idea that people are assimilating for themselves now is this idea that being happier, yeah. you can achieve. Right. That this happiness is the goal for your whole life all the time. It was Eric. That, that you could have happiness as the goal for your life all the time 
not possible, right. but that you can incrementally get happier. Yeah, and then happier still, and then and happier, happier still. still, and, and happier can, still. The project is so exciting. Um, the last pillar, though, I got to get yeah, to it. Oh, yeah. Because we've talked about family, we talked about faith, we talked about friends, we have not talked about work, oh, which is the thing that consumes most people. Most hours. Most people spend more time with their colleagues than with their spouse. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So the question is, what's the connection between work, work and happiness? As a, as a pillar, yes. Work can, can lift you up or work can, can drown you. Work can just hold you down under the wrong circumstances. Yeah. Okay, well, what about prestige and job title? Nah, that kind of washes. Um, okay, well, then they still keep looking, looking. Is it private sector, public sector, government? What is it? Huh? Mm-hmm. Turns out none of that matters. Two things matter to give you the happiest job. What? You need to earn your success. Feel like For you're sure. creating value with your life and it's recognized. That's number one. And number two is you have to believe that you're serving other people. That you believe that you're serving other people. You're doing something that they need. That's the essence of dignity is to be needed. And the best way that we can be needed, besides raising our children and being there for our friends, is what we do in our jobs. And when people feel like their job is expendable, you know, the, the, the joy that I have from my work now is that I hear from people all the time who say, that helped me a lot. That's the joy that I get. You too. You've told me that. Well, that was what I heard all the time when I was doing the Oprah show is like, this changed my life or this meant so much to me. And People were that that thing you were talking about, sharing it at dinner, talking about yeah. what they heard or listened to, and I thinking that's going to happen from us too. People talking about what they heard in this right. conversation today. That's why we wrote the book and why we're and doing and sharing it with other shows. people. Right. So, what's your advice to workaholics? Yeah. So, it, indeed, joy comes from work, rightly understood. Yeah. And a lot of people blow that out of proportion. Yeah. So, if I were giving investment advice. Some people would say, I would say, you need a diversified portfolio of investments. You know, you should have a little cash and you should have a little stocks. You should have a little bonds, whatever it happens to be, right? And some people will say, especially young people, they'll be like, nah, I'm going to go for the one that has the greatest yield this year. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I'm going to put it all in, you know, these really risky bonds or something. And I'll be like, don't do that. Trust me. Don't do that. That's what people do who become workaholics. Usually early on in their life. They recognize that, yeah, okay, faith, you know, I don't, I don't get it really. Family, oh, what a pain. Friends, they're always kind of there. Kind of, but work, I'm getting promotions. I'm getting rewarded. I'm getting affirmed day after day after day. And so they, 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 they double down and they triple down, and pretty soon all they're doing is working. In other words, they, they understand that this is a good source of happiness, but they crowd out of the other things. And the result is that they're over-invested in the work pillar, and that becomes a source of addiction. Mm. That's what we call workaholism. Now, usually it's a secondary addiction. The primary addiction is the success. People get super interested in success, and the reason is because it hits the dopamine lever just the same way as gambling or alcohol or anything that's highly addictive. But we have a culture that tells us that power, money, fame, success, that is the I way. I know, you know, and, so, and that's because, you, know, you know, nobody ever says, you're so good at drinking gin. Yeah. Right. Nobody ever affirms you for that addiction. But if you work all night, they're like, "Good job." Yeah. Here's a bonus. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. that's addictive behavior in a lot of cases. Like sometimes you have to. I've worked all night before because something was due, like our manuscript. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you know people who do that all the time, it's because they're being affirmed in a very dangerous addiction. There's a a, a woman who teaches at the Stanford Medical School, a physician psychiatrist named Anna Lemke. And she wrote a very important book called Dopamine Nation. And I asked her on my podcast, I said, you know, what about workaholism? And she said, oh, it shows up. I see it all the time. Stanford, Harvard, you know, all these people. It's like work, 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 work. 
And that's because they're, they're, they're shallow and desiccated in other parts of their lives. And so they think that they're going to get everything from that one pillar. But that's like putting your entire pension in Greek bonds. It might work out. I don't recommend it as an economist. Yeah. And that's kind of what they're doing. And, and so you have to deal with the fact that that kind of addiction can hurt you. It can ruin your relationships. And almost certainly you will wind up unhappy despite the fact that you were doing it to get happy. It's hugely ironic. Let's take one final question from Gary from Virginia who wants to know more about being a teacher to his daughters. Love this. Hi, my name is Gary and I just wanted to thank you for fielding my question. Uh, I love the section of your book that related to family. Uh, that really means a lot to me. Um, but one of my questions is as I'm going through this journey and trying to work on myself, um, I have two preteen daughters and that uh, I'd love to be able to pass along knowledge as well. So what are your suggestions on the best way to handle uh, working on something like this where you're working on yourself, but then also helping your kids? Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. I love that he wants to do that. I Gary. do. I yes. do. No, and it's such a good question. Nock, I got to be, I got to be completely in charge and totally competent before I can do that. That's not right. On the contrary, the best happiness teachers are students. Yeah. That's it. And as you're learning it yourself, sharing, you know, this idea I, read, I came across. That totally. You can't, you, you can't achieve happiness full stop all the time. No. But you can continually get happier. I think just passing that message along to your kids. St. Paul said in the New Testament of the Christian Bible, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Mm. He taught through his weakness. And we all should 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 teach through our weakness. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. we shouldn't be running away from our weaknesses. We shouldn't be celebrating them and you know writing memoirs about it either necessarily. But the whole point is that we're we're fallen, we're we're troubled, you know. And and the truth of the matter is that when somebody actually sees that, it's hugely instructive. That when pe when when you see your father and he says, "I struggle with this," wow, it has a big impact. It has a really big impact. There's funny literature. There's a funny studies that ask the following question. Why is it that the best way that you can get your kids to practice your faith has nothing to do with what you tell them, has nothing to do with what you teach them? It has to do with what they see. And the, almost certainly the reason is because with your parents, especially the sort of the physically strongest parent, whether it's mom or dad, that person takes it bows before no person. But if you see that person on her or his knees on Sunday, that has a big impact. Because that person is saying, your dad is saying, I remember my thinking when I was a little kid, my dad was so strong he could lift the house. And he did not bow before any other person. But on Sundays, he was on his knees. And that meant I am weak. I saw my father weak and it had a huge impact on me. It created a hunger inside me. And that's what we need to do. What, what is this thing my father's bowing to? Is and that's what he can show his daughters. This is a struggle and I'm on this path. And it's so good. Like this book, it's not research. It's me-search. I, I wanted to write this with you because I want the answers too. And, and, and I write in the beginning of the book. We have, these, we have a note. You, your note starts so beautiful. And then I read your note and I thought, okay, what am I going to say? And so I wrote about the fact that I'm a happiness professor and happiness is a struggle. It doesn't come naturally. I don't have athletic ability in happiness. That's the reason I do it. The reason he should talk about happiness to his daughters is because he loves them and wants them to be happy, and he wants it too. That enhances the ability of him to get these ideas across. 
I know you love to say, and I've heard you say it many times, that happiness is love, full stop. Do you have any other final thoughts? <laughs> it's, the best, it's the best way to remind ourselves about what really matters in the first place. I mean, we've been talking in the last couple episodes about faith, about family, about friends, and about work. But really what that is is different facets of the way that we love others, that we give love to other people and, 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 and magnetize our love to, love to us. We're talking about f love of the divine. We're talking about love of our families. We're talking about love of our real friends. And, and the apex of love between family and friends, that one, there's one role between family and friends that's the same thing, which is spousal love, romantic love. And then love that we, that we show to everybody through the way that we earn our daily bread. I mean, that's, that's love, 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 and more love. That's mm -hmm. the four pillars mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. I mean, you and I wrote this book, and we, we talked about it. He said, we're gonna, why are we going to write a book? It's a bunch of time. It's a huge effort, right? It's not like, you know, Oprah and Arthur got to get a number one New York Times bestseller. It's not like our life will be incomplete at this point in our lives. It's great. But the reason that we did it is because we thought that we could actually, with the way that we make our living, we could lift people up. Mm. That's love. This is an act of love for us, and it, and it might help is the whole point, and that makes me intensely happy. Yeah, it makes me intensely happy too, and I am so grateful to everybody who's bought the book, everybody who's now going to share the book with other people that you know, everybody who's going to gift the book, and the fact that it was number one on the New York Times is just a big bonus because I didn't have any attachment to it. I thought... We will offer this to the world. Remember I kept saying, yeah. it's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. Look at it as a gift. We'll offer it to the world as a gift. And if people receive it, that's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it has been really wonderful that you received it. Thank you. And thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Oprah. What Thanks for the journey. Thanks, yeah. Thanks, everybody. This is the roadmap if you're looking to get happier. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to our episode sponsor, The Hartford. If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know.